We've heard one version of the Palm Sunday story in our call to worship, but as we've been following encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John during this Lenten season, let's hear how John remembers that day. Reading this morning from John chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, listen to God's word for us this morning. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. For as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer, and let all God's people say, Amen. Well, I probably should say right up front that I love parades. I do. I've always loved parades. Partly, I suppose, I have memories of being a kid and going to parades. But even more importantly, when I was a teenager in the high school band, we marched in a lot of parades. For two of those years, I got to be drum major, as some of you know, and so I got to lead those parades. And they were always really fun days. Always fun days to be out. For a couple of years after college, I taught high school and led other kids in leading parades. Uh, I have just always really appreciated uh, pulling up on a curbside and hanging out at a parade. Having moved here to Fort Collins, I got to experience parades on a slightly different level. We have friends, uh, the Moors, here at First Press who live on Mountain Avenue, and so we always get a front row seat to the many local parades on Mountain Avenue. Uh, some traditional, of course, like the Fourth of July parade. Some, to be honest, a little less traditional, like the Tour de Fat parade, <laughs> Labor Day weekend, when at 10 o'clock in the morning, I see things that a pastor really ought not to see at 10 o'clock in the morning. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been there. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been in that parade. I've seen you. <laughs> Although it's not exactly a parade formally, the other big event, of course, is Halloween on Mountain Avenue, which if you haven't experienced, you should, or take your kids or grandkids to experience. Our first year here, the Moors invited us over to help pass out candy, and when we got there, I found five suitcase-sized bags of candy from Costco sitting on the front porch. I said, Joseph, you're nuts. You're going to end up with 10 pounds of leftover candy. He said, no, just wait for it. <laughs> and sure enough, hundreds of kids came by, and by the end of the night, we sadly passed it all out to the kids and left nothing for ourselves. A few years ago, Miriam and I got away for a couple of days and went to Anaheim to uh, Disneyland. 
And while we enjoyed the rides during the day, to be honest, I had to prod a little bit to encourage her that night to wiggle our way through the crowd and pull up a curbside seat to watch the Main Street Electrical Parade. And it was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> the jury's out. But the thing is, you know, parades are not just about fun, although they are that too, but parades also provide for us a kind of testimony beyond the pageantry that reveals to us some of our most important values. Yes, some of those values are playfulness and artistry and creativity, but sometimes at parades we also honor people who are important to us, our veterans or frontline workers like police officers or firefighters or medical personnel. Sometimes the very act of gathering for a parade itself reflects our common value of community, being community together, our common call to the common good and the greater good, we sometimes say. So with that understanding in mind about what a parade can mean beyond just what we see, it made me think again about what's happening on this day, on this parade, this palm parade that happened a couple of thousand years ago. Why did people gather? Why did people shout Hosanna to the King of Kings, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, we're told? And what does Hosanna mean anyway? It turns out that the word Hosanna in the New Testament is only used in the context of these stories in the Gospels about the Palm Parade. It's the only time in the Gospels that the word Hosanna shows up. It's kind of an odd word, actually, and so I did a little digging this week to see what was behind that. For some, it seems, Hosanna is, a, is an acclamation of praise, uh, which makes sense, especially alongside a parade. But beyond that, there's also a sense that Hosanna is probably a transliteration from the Hebrew of the word Yasha, which means save us, or to be liberated or freed from. That this cry of praise is also a cry of help. Save us, they're saying. Now, I had heard that in the past before, and it made sense to me in one context, which is that, as we know, the Israelites, Jesus' people, are living under occupation of the Roman army. And so in a very real and practical way, they would be looking for liberation in fact, isn't that some of the disappointment that plays out over Holy Week that leads to Jesus' death? But I was also helped to understand that at a wider level about a month ago, as some of you know, many of you experienced, we had Dr. Anna Bowden here from Louisville Seminary leading us in a weekend retreat, digging deeper into the Gospel of John and its context. And one of the things that Dr. Bowden explained to us was a much richer, fuller understanding of the level of abject poverty that the vast majority of people in Jesus' time lived in. Poverty, by the way, that was not coincidental, but was exacerbated by the occupying Roman uh, uh, force uh, through taxation, through the misappropriation of food and other resources, Frankly, scenarios that we've seen play out in many places around the world over the last 2,000 years and still plays out in many places around the world where people live in abject poverty not because of their own fault but because of what others have done to them and to their communities. And when I was able to understand the context in which so many people were living so desperately, it made more sense to me while those standing alongside the road that day waving their palms, yes, 
in praise and celebration of this one who comes in the name of the Lord, but also at the same time desperately crying out, save us, save us, Messiah, save us, Emmanuel, save us if you are the Savior. There's some authenticity, some honesty about their testimony. As John reminds us that those who gathered that day continued to testify. And I suspect that if you're like me, you know that same cry as well, don't you? Just last Sunday, just last Sunday morning, we reflected on the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, a story reflected again in today's text. And in reflecting on that, we thought about the reality that the world today is not as it should be. And as if we needed one more reminder, just 24 hours later, we received the devastating news of another violent act in another school in America. As a gunman walked into Covenant School, a part of Covenant Presbyterian Church's ministry in Nashville, Tennessee, and took the lives of three children and three adults. And then that shooter's own life was taken, and we can only imagine the heartbreak for her family as well. And we see another community devastated again. And of course, that wasn't the only bad news this week. As more of the headlines that we are all too familiar with about war and violence, people suffering from environmental disasters, political turmoil, and as though it were impossibly true, even a more polarized environment in which our national leaders are navigating, social and cultural battle lines continue to be drawn between who is included and who is excluded, what is condoned and what is condemned. And all of that plays out alongside the dramas that are very real in each of our own personal lives and the lives of our loved ones. And so for each of us this morning, as we gather on this Palm Sunday, as people of faith, people seeking to be Christ-centered, we find ourselves, like those others, standing with the crowd shouting Hosanna, both acknowledging an expression of praise, and a cry for help. Hosanna, save us, save us. Looking back over these last six weeks of Lent, as many of us have been on this journey together of encounters with Jesus, I couldn't help think about who else might be standing alongside the road that day with a palm branch in her or his hand. Maybe the bride from the wedding at Cana was standing alongside the road that day still fondly remembering what seemed like a $120 bottle of wine that she had been able to enjoy at the very end of her wedding celebration. She had been surprised, wasn't she, to be offered such fine wine, better than she deserved, I bet she thought. And though the honeymoon is now over, she still wonders about that day and what it might mean for her and her people. Because if for wine at a wedding, Jesus' generosity would provide more than enough and better than expected, could that also be true of the love, compassion, and kindness that Jesus came to share too? Is he really inviting, encouraging, and teaching us to live that kind of life of generosity? So for the bride at the wedding at Cana, in a world longing for gestures of kindness and compassion, she cries, Hosanna. Nicodemus might have been there that day. You remember, he was a person of power and influence, one who was educated and financially secure in a position of authority over others. And yet, somehow he was still aware 
that there might be something possible, a deeper meaning and purpose in life that he hadn't quite become aware of yet in all of his training and leading. And perhaps in his encounter with Jesus, he learned of a God who loves the whole world so much. He learned of a God who, whose spirit moves outside of our control, outside of our carefully constructed comfort zones. Perhaps he had shared a bit of that new wisdom with others, maybe even with other religious leaders. For in a world longing for a solid foundation of faith upon which to stand and weather the unpredictable storms of life, Nicodemus that day cries, Hosanna. Maybe the woman from the well at Samaria was there that day. Perhaps because Jesus had been willing to cross a border to come to her, she was willing to cross a border to come to Jesus in Jerusalem that day. Maybe following from a distance, but nevertheless wanting to see what else he might see and hear and say. For in her encounter with him, she had discovered a man, a man who knew everything that she had ever done and offered her living water to quench her deepest thirst, the thirst that we all have to be fully known and loved. And it's in that world where we all desire to be fully known and loved that she cries, Hosanna. Maybe even the man born blind was there that day. Can you imagine for the very first time in his life, he's able to see all that is happening as the crowds gather for the festival in Jerusalem. All of the color and all of the pageantry and all of the wonder. I imagine he scarce can take it all in. And now that the, now that the dust has settled and the mud has dried from his encounter with Jesus, maybe he's been reconciled with his family, his community, and even his synagogue. Remember, they were struggling, struggling to receive him after he had been healed. And yet, in the miracle of his sight restored, he has now discovered a world in which many who claim to see are in fact blind. And those who acknowledge their blindness might best be able to see. To see ourselves and one another, to see our God. This one called Messiah, the one who is here, present among us, right beside us. And so in a world in need of the humility to acknowledge blindness, and a world longing to see as Jesus sees, the man who was once blind but now sees, cries, Hosanna. Finally, though it's probably not likely, I wonder if even Lazarus stood beside the road that day. If he did, I imagine that he was probably wearing sunglasses and a baseball hat. Remember, Lazarus was one who had been marked for death. He's, his very existence, his very life was a threat to the religious leaders and to others. A reminder of Jesus' power among them and his popularity with the people. So he might not have been there, but if he had been, I wonder if Lazarus, standing alongside the road that day, might have recalled that it didn't take Martha to tell him Jesus had claimed to be the resurrection and the life. He knew that well. His very existence was proof of that. Not just resurrection someday, but new life today. And so today he stands among the crowds, waving palms and laying cloaks along the path. Today he joins others with a hope that flourishes despite the evidence to the contrary in front of him, that the world was not as it should be. And with them and with us, Lazarus cries, Hosanna. Friends, what is your testimony this morning as you stand alongside the parade route?
as you've had this encounter, these encounters with Jesus, what have you learned during this season of Lent, during this part of your journey of faith? What have you heard and seen? What have you come to know perhaps again or for the first time? Where do you find yourself today at the intersection on the path between praise and lament? For whom and for what do you shout, Hosanna? Reformed Church pastor and seminary professor Scott Hosey writes, So often our worship of God, absolutely proper and full of peace and glory, is also at the same time tinged with the sorrow and the pity of it all. We know Jesus has redeemed us, and that he did so precisely because he didn't stop to linger over the triumphal entry parade, but because he went on towards the cross and all that happened in that act of self-sacrificial love. We're right to celebrate Jesus as our King, but are properly sobered by what it costs our Lord. We're also properly sobered to feel the pain of this in-between time of the already and the not yet. That, Hosey writes, is what we see on Palm Sunday. Not a break from it all, but a way to more deeply engage life's sharper edges. But more than that, because the eyes in which we see all that sadness are no less than Jesus' own eyes, we know that when we also feel that mixture of glory and pain, that mixture of joy and sorrow, that we are not only understood by our Lord, that same Lord has then pointed us forward to a day when God's promises will come true, when he will wipe every tear from our eyes. So brothers and sisters in Christ, the invitation for us today is to wiggle through the crowd and find a curbside seat at the parade. Bring all the joy and all the sorrow that your heart bears today. Shout Hosanna, a declaration of praise and a cry for help today. For Jesus has come for you. Jesus has come for all of us. Through our encounters with Jesus this season, we have received a gift of abundance and compassion, a light of love and grace, a posture of humility, the resilience born of healing and courage, and the assurance of resurrection and new life. And after the parade is over, follow Jesus back out into the world, a world that is not yet as it should be and needs the hope of the gospel that you have to share more than ever. Remember, for all those who shout Hosanna today, you are called to be bearers of the good news of great joy. You are called to be disciples of the Lord today. Amen.